welcome you to this uh, Bible League rally uh, made in different circumstances where we would normally be together and have a good number of people within the chapel here but uh, today it is a lot different. We are able to welcome our brother Pastor John Thackway, uh, the editor of the Bible League at Quarterly and the trust member uh, to our pulpit. We're very pleased that he's able to come and uh, to preach God's word to us tonight. Uh, and uh, he will explain a little bit more again about the League uh, as uh, we probably need a little bit of reminder of some of the literature, although normally he would bring literature and we could uh, we would share, but that won't be possible tonight. But we are glad in God's sovereignty that we can meet in this way. So you are very welcome to, uh, as you've joined us tonight. Let us begin with a word of prayer. Let us pray. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. How gracious, how merciful, how mighty thou art. Thou art our God, and we will praise thee. And we long to lift up the name of our Saviour Jesus Christ tonight as we come in this meeting together. We thank thee, Lord, for the assembling of the saints. We thank thee that even though it's virtually in our homes, yet we can still praise and worship thee, give thee thanks and glory, because thou art great and thou hast done wondrous things and marvellous things for us, whereof we are glad. Bless, therefore, the worship that we engage in now. Forgive and pardon our sins, we pray. Grant, O Lord, with the preaching of thy word, that it may be a blessing to our souls, and that we may be encouraged to seek the Lord God's face, particularly in these difficult times of pandemic, and to seek him with all our hearts. So grant us thy blessing, O Lord, as we begin this meeting. In the name of our Saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen. We're going to sing a hymn, and it's uh, in Psalms and Hymns for Reformed Worship. It's uh, Psalm 19 and version 1. The heavens declare thy glory, Lord. In every star thy wisdom shines. But when our eyes behold thy word, we read thy name in fairer lines. Our first hymn.
would like to underline the welcome that Pastor David Kay has given to you all to this Bible League meeting. And I would like to especially thank Pastor Kay and all the friends here at Widden Valley Evangelical Church for their kind hospitality in allowing us to use their empty building and recording facilities so that we can make this Bible League meeting as authentic as possible by our, our both taking part here and recording it and videoing it for you. And we trust that you will feel very much a part of the meeting and that the Lord will be in our midst. We know that we're doing this remotely, but the Lord is not remote from us. And he can be very much in our midst and very close to us each as we worship him in this way and hear his word together. Concerning the Bible League Trust, I'm sure many of you will know something about it. We do thank our subscribers very much for their support and all who happen to read the Bible League quarterly or who stand with us in any way, <clears throat> we're very grateful to you. As I always say at these meetings, if you're not a subscriber to the magazine, to become one is the best way you can support us. Details of subscription uh, are in the inside front cover of the Bible League Quarterly magazine, but also on the website www.bibleleagetrust.org. If you go there, everything is there for you to be able to subscribe and also follow our magazines and articles and purchase our literature. Just show you the uh, current issue of this magazine and uh, can I recommend it to you if you don't subscribe and we trust and pray that the Lord will further prosper and bless our work and witness. It seems to me as editor of the Bible League Quarterly, as I think about conditions these days, that our work and witness is needed more than perhaps ever before. Founded in 1892, to combat the rampant theological liberalism that was gaining so much ground in those days that Spurgeon resisted so bravely and though few stood with him, he led the van in denouncing this downgrade in belief of scriptural doctrine and confidence in the word of God. As time has gone by since then, we have seen the effect of this liberalism on the nation. The uh, secularism that sadly is abroad now and the ungodliness, the moral degeneracy. We have seen its effect too upon evangelical churches, empty buildings a great decline in reverence, sad changes that have come upon evangelical and reformed churches in terms of loss of confidence in the doctrine and authority of Scripture so that you have modern Bible translations, the New Testament part based upon a shorter critical text that is still evolving, and not settled like the received text is, and worship so irreverent and so governed by personal tastes rather than governed by the word of God. The biblical doctrine of separation not upheld now and such a preparedness to go wide in church associations, unsound churches, ecumenical churches and the personal holiness of believers sadly things are at such a low ebb with that 
and spirituality, all these things are suffering because of the conditions that afflict our churches in these days. And so the Bible League seeks to address these things and provide biblical teaching concerning them. And we seek to inform ignorance, clarify confusion, provide leadership. And it's not only older people who are appalled at the current conditions in the nation and in the churches, but I get communication from younger people as well saying, Mr. Thackway, is such and such a thing right? And I come back and seek to show how it's not right from the scriptures and they're so relieved. They can see it and I think a growing number of both old and young people are awakening to the fact that this is not the evangelicalism of say the 1950s, not the evangelicalism that Pastor Kay and I grew up with. We just do not recognize it. There has been such a departure from it in all the ways that I've indicated. And there is a great and desperate need these days to return to these old paths where the good way is. Not because they're old, but because they're biblical. And they're vitally needed in our day to reverse the great downgrade and departure in things to do with the nation and our society and the churches. So while we don't say that we have all the answers, we're not perfect, but at least we're seeking to stand for what we believe is biblical and historic and authentic Christianity. And so thank you, dear friends, for joining us this evening and standing with us. Please pray for our work and witness all the more that it might please the Lord to bless us in these days as we seek to know what Israel ought to do, having understanding of the times, and that we might serve our own generation by the will of God. Well, now let us turn to God's word, and we'll read from the Psalms and Psalm 119. It's Psalm 119, and we read the section beginning at verse 49 to 56. Psalm 119, verse 49. Remember the word unto thy servant, upon which thou hast caused me to hope. This is my comfort in my affliction. For thy word hath quickened me. The proud have had me greatly in derision, yet have I not declined from thy law. I remembered thy judgments of old, O Lord, and have comforted myself. Horror hath taken hold upon me because of the wicked that forsake thy law. Thy statutes have been my songs in the house of my pilgrimage. I have remembered thy name, O Lord, in the night, and have kept thy law. This I had, because I kept thy precepts. Before we pray together, I would like to draw your attention to a new publication, the book entitled Valiant for the Truth. If you've had the latest issue of the Bible League quarterly, you will see that this is advertised in it, and our secretary gives some details of it and how to order it. I would just like to say a word or two about this book. It consists of collected writings from Bishop D.A. Thompson. He was a bishop in the Free Church of England in his time, but being the faithful man that he was, he even felt the need to separate from that body 
And though he was always known as Bishop Thompson, he was a great friend of every evangelical Christian, whether uh, Anglican, Free Church of England, Baptist, Methodist, Plymouth Brethren, or whatever. He was a great man in his day. He was the editor of the Bible League Quarterly from the period um, 1961 to 1970. But more than his articles in that magazine, he spoke on a number of platforms. And some of these addresses were published in booklet form. And I have sought to collect all these different ones together and bring them into a volume. I was asked to do this by the trustees of the Bible League, and it's been a labor of love, although it's taken a few years, and I've had help from my fellow trustees and others, for which I'm very thankful. So the result is quite a substantial book, and I think you'll agree an attractive book of, what is it, 350-something pages, 300 and 60, 352 pages, hardback, dust cover, and it is in, in four sections, and it comprises of articles ranged under titles, biblical and devotional subjects, and here you have things like the making of our Bible, the sovereignty of God, the believer at and after death, reflections on the book of Proverbs, very, very valuable biblical teaching. I think the one entitled The Bible in Hand, Home and Heart is a very heartwarming one. So that's the first section. Then secondly, Bible translation. And here we are given teaching historically, and biblically on the downgrade in the modern English translations of Scripture, starting with the revised version in 1881 and the ones following. And he shows very clearly, very convincingly, how that that revised version of the Bible was a turning point and contributed very much to the downgrade in scripture translation and reverence for the word of God and toward the glut of modern Bible translations which number hundreds these days and are causing such confusion. Thirdly, textual matters, the transmission of the Old Testament text, the singular care and providence of God and the textus receptus or received text, very, very helpful technical, but so wonderfully uh, written, so clearly, so helpfully, and much easier to follow. The last 12 verses of the Gospel according to Mark, why do we believe these are authentic and should not be relegated to a footnote or italics as they are in modern Bible translations? And then fourthly, book reviews, uh, three Uh, book reviews so full and instructive and there's a brief memoir of the bishop as well and an introduction I hope I've whetted your appetite it's excellent reading cannot commend it warmly enough the book costs 15 pounds including post and packing and you can either send to our secretary Mrs Ward or you can obtain it via the website. Uh, the cost of it from outside the UK is £22. So um, can I encourage you to consider this? We're coming up, of course, to the festive season. And if you want to think about a very valuable Christmas present, well, I think this would make a very generous and helpful one. And I think to possess this book would have a spiritual treasure which would last for many years to come. So that's our new publication. And we trust and pray it will have a wide sale 
and do much good in our day. Now let us pray together. O Lord, we continue before thee, and we thank thee for thy gracious presence, which we can know, even as we draw near in the name of thy beloved Son, who is our access unto the Father, and by one Holy Spirit, the comforter of our souls, who graciously enables us in every spiritual exercise And, O Lord, how we need him, for we cannot think a gracious thought, we cannot feel a good desire, till thou who callst a world from naught that grace into our hearts inspire. Help us by thy Holy Spirit, that we may truly pray and worship this evening. Hear thy word to our soul's prophet, and be enabled to support the work and ministry of the Bible League. We pray, Lord, that the League will make a great contribution in our day, along with sound and faithful churches and other Christian bodies and organisations. Lord, help us to contend for the faith, once delivered unto the saints, and give us great wisdom and great love and kindness and faithfulness in these days that we might be made a blessing. And we do pray, Lord, that there might be a great return to the biblical old paths. We pray, O God, for a raising up again of that remnant, that regrouping of thy people to rally round the banner and to stand for these things in our time. We know that we are often called old-fashioned and stuck in the mud and even dinosaurs, just like Mr. Spurgeon was in the latter part of the 19th century. But Lord, we know he was right and we would stand as he stood and we pray, Lord, that thou wilt make it clear in these days who is on the Lord's side and who is not. And O God, we pray that thou wilt bless And glorify thy word, glorify thy name in our times. We humbly look to thee and call upon thee for thy blessing, a real move of God in our day, and a real return to everything that is right and everything that glorifies thee. We pray, Lord, for reformation revival and a visitation of the Spirit, Bless us, O God, we pray, in the United Kingdom and in all the nations of the world. Bring back thy word, O God. May we all bow before it, even as we reverence the God of the word. And may we tremble at it, may we rejoice at it, and may we be doers of it in our own lives. And see, dear Lord, thy word honoured in every way. Hear us now, Lord, and bless us together. Speak to us through thy word. Do us good in our souls. Encourage us, each and every one. And we do pray for one another, especially during these difficult times of restrictions and regulations and lockdown and deprivation, especially, Lord, those who live on their own, And those who do not have a sound local church to easily get to, O Lord, do comfort them and strengthen their hearts. Provide for them abundantly. Be a God and a Father and a little sanctuary. We commend ourselves now to Thee. Bless us as ministers, church officers, members, friends. O Lord, make us, we pray, a great blessing in our day. And we ask these mercies with pardon for all our sins and shortcomings and failings, of which they are so many. But Lord, take away all iniquity and receive us graciously and love us freely. Through Jesus Christ, 
and for the glory of thy great name. Amen. Psalm 119 is an intensely personal psalm. Here, David prays to the Lord, professes his devotion, and promises to serve God. It is as if we are overhearing him in the secret place, and we are on holy ground. The title of the psalm given by the authorized version translators are a good summary sundry prayers praises and professions of obedience we could summarize it another way and say that david is glorying in holy scripture talking to god about it declaring his love for it and asking that it might work effectually in him and pledging to obey it in his life. And it reminds us, dear friends, that a Christian is not only a praying person but a Bible-believing person. We come to church with our Bible. We read it at home. We have biblical texts on the walls of our room at home, perhaps. I remember hearing of a lady, well, I remember speaking to a lady. My wife and I were in the home and she was an elderly lady and she recalls how that she grew up in a godly home and her abiding memory of her father was sitting in his comfortable chair reading the Bible. And as a little girl, uh, she would say to him, what are you reading, Daddy? And he would say, I'm reading about the prophet Elijah, my dear. That memory stayed there. And of course, she grew up and became a Christian and did the same. But what a good thing to be remembered for doing. You may know that Bishop Ryle asked that his old Bible be placed on him in his coffin so that it might lie on his heart in the grave. And the Bible League Trust makes no apology for standing for this as its object, to promote the reverent study of the Holy Scriptures and to resist the varied attacks upon their inspiration, infallibility and soul sufficiency as the Word of God. Our text this evening is verse 49 of Psalm 119. Remember the word unto thy servant, upon which thou hast caused me to hope. David is in prayer, and he's referring to God's word. But what is he referring to in particular? What is he asking for? I suggest it's for something that is typical of our experience as Christians. And if this is true of us, this surely is going to be a real hallmark of biblical Christianity and real heart religion. So much that is needed these days. So let's look first of all at the word. Verse 49, the word unto thy servant. God had spoken to David, and he has spoken to us. That is why we are Christians at all, isn't it? Because of the Bible. God uses his word as the converting instrument, whether it's a gospel sermon we heard, whether it was a tract full of scripture, whether it is a one-to-one verbal witness from another, from a Christian quoting scripture, however it is, the word of God is there somewhere. And faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God, or by reading. 
the Christians at Colossae. Paul reminds them in chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, that their faith in Christ Jesus and their love toward the saints and the hope they have laid up in heaven was because of the word of the truth of the gospel. That's one reason why we love the word of God. The Lord has used it in our conversion. It came as that word of life in the power of the Spirit, bringing us the new birth and then repentance toward God, faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ and brought us into fellowship with him whereby he became our saviour and the written word brought us to the living word. Well, that's why we're Christians at all. But this is the way we grow as Christians as well, isn't it? The word. The Puritans used to say that the Bible is the breeder and the feeder of grace. Because 1 Peter 2 and verse 2, we desire the sincere milk of the word that we may grow thereby. In Acts 20 and verse 32, the apostle in his benediction upon those Ephesian elders, he commends them to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all them that are sanctified. We will find, won't we, that the strongest, godliest, holiest, wisest, most useful Christians are those who are most in and under the word of God. Oh, the importance of personal Bible study and reading. The importance of having the word break over us through preaching and enter into us by the blessing of the Spirit and the importance of being doers of the word, not hearers only, and walking it out in life and experience. The word unto thy servant. But it says here that often the way the Lord deals with us is that he gives us a particular word. The word unto thy servant. Certain scriptures the Lord uses as he blesses us and guides us and helps us. For instance, sometimes there is a word of general promise because what the Lord has pledged to others in the Bible serves as a template for us, for instance, when he said to Moses in Exodus 33, verse 14, My presence shall go with thee, and I will give thee rest. That's said as much to us. And we think of that word unto his servant, and we're glad of that general promise of guidance. Or maybe that reassuring word to Israel in the person of his servant Jacob. Isaiah 41 and verse 10. Fear not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, I am thy God. I will help thee. I will uphold thee. I will strengthen thee. Golden words of promise as much to us. Or how about Psalm 81 and verse 10. Open thy mouth wide, and I will fill it. Wonderful promise that if we ask for great things in prayer, God is honoured by that, and he will answer those great prayers. Ask great things of God. Expect great things from God. That was one of the texts that George Muller often pleaded as he prayed to God for provision for his orphanage work and those dear boys and girls needing to be fed and clothed and cared for in those orphanages and how God opened his mouth wide as he taught George Muller these things and George Muller asked for great things and God supplied them 
most wonderfully. So a word of general promise, we can say, the word unto me, thy servant. Sometimes it's a word of specific promise, isn't it? For instance, Isaiah 58 and verse 11, and the Lord will guide thee continually. To plead that, like the fiery cloudy pillar with Israel, night and day, 24-7, no moment of any time when the Lord is not guiding us. And we need that continual guidance every step of the way, don't we? Lord, guide me continually. Don't let me make a wrong move, a false step, or go outside of the center of thy will, and you'll find that he'll keep you right. Specific. Or maybe Psalm 30, verse 5. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. It can be a long time of darkness where felt need is taken to God in prayer, but nothing happens. But then, the morning. Joy cometh in the morning, and our day of blessing has come, and the Lord answers our prayer. Or John 14, verse 18, how about this, where Jesus says, I will not leave you comfortless, meaning bereaved like orphans, I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. Are you on your own? Do you feel lonely? Do you feel sad? Are you bereaved? Ah, your Lord Jesus has a word unto you, his servant. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. It's his manifested presence that changes everything. For us. Or Philippians 4, verse 19 My God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. You see, specific promises that we can take to the Lord and ask him to fulfill them because they are the word unto we, his servants. So there is a word. And how thankful we are when we come upon these general or more specific promises. Sometimes we have them hanging on our wall in a frame, don't we? Sometimes we underline them in our Bibles or highlight them. But we go back to them again and again, don't we? And how kind of the Holy Spirit when he brings them to our remembrance at key times of need. And we're strengthened. And so we live upon the word of God in this way and stand upon the promises. So it's the word unto his servant. But then let's look secondly at the weight. The word unto thy servant upon which thou hast caused me to hope. And it implies that the Lord may not fulfill his word to us straight away. We're led to hope that it will be so, but maybe not yet. Is this how it is with you at the present time? He's raised your hope. He's not going to dash it. But hope has not been fulfilled yet. And so it's waiting on the Lord. And it can be hard, can't it? As Proverbs 12 and verse 12 says, Hope deferred maketh the heart sick. The Lord knows how difficult it is. But you know, he has already given you something. The word thou hast caused me to hope. And so we're hoping on a definite promise and that supports us. 
He's not going to raise your hope, I say, only to dash it. Think of some considerations to encourage us about this. For one thing, any delay in God fulfilling his word to us is not needless. In Habakkuk 2 and verse 3, we read that it is for an appointed time, but at the end it shall speak and not lie. Though it tarry, wait for it, because it will surely come. If I may make a personal allusion, I remember back in 1973 having this promise concerning a very important thing in my life. And I pleaded it before God and I was supported in hope upon it. And the Lord fulfilled it to me in 1977. And I can set upon record God's faithfulness, the word unto his servant upon which he caused me to hope, and I did not hope in vain, and neither will you. My wife and I were in the home of a godly family, and we remember the wife of that family sharing with us something. She often used to think about Proverbs 22 and verse 6, train up a child in the way that he ought to go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. Precious promise to Christian parents raising children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And she used to say to us, I so often pray, Lord, how old is old? As the children were growing up and getting older, and perhaps not evidence of grace in them yet, or perhaps evidences of grace, but not growing in grace as they ought, causing concern and trouble to their Christian parents. When they are old, they will not depart from it. But how old is old, Lord? And it's for the Lord himself to answer that, isn't it? But you see, we look to God and we trust him concerning this. And we do not hope we believe in vain. And secondly, the Lord always knows the best time to fulfill his promises. Isaiah 30 in verse 18, Therefore will the Lord wait that he might be gracious unto you. Therefore will he be exalted that he might have mercy upon you. And so there is that waiting. And then it goes on to say, blessed are all they that wait for him. Ecclesiastes 3 and verse 11, he hath made everything beautiful in his time. We'll see a beauty in the whole thing that we've had to be exercised over in waiting. It's the best time. There's a beauty that we will marvel at. We'll see that it wouldn't have been right had it come earlier. And the Lord has not allowed one second too late concerning it, just at the right time. Richard Greenham, the Puritan, put it like this. There is a time between the making and the fulfilling of the promise, which God doth to try whether we will account of the promise and stick unto it. Can you stick unto it? Well, if you believe it's a divine word, if you believe in the word of God as inspired, divine, preserved, authoritative, infallible, well then we'll stand upon it and we'll plead it with God, won't we? And we'll know that just because it hasn't been fulfilled yet, it doesn't mean to say it will never be fulfilled. Oh, he knows the best time. 
And thirdly, he's not overlooked the promise, any promise. Psalm 111, verse 5, he will be ever mindful of his covenant. These promises laid in the covenant of grace before time, ordered in all things and sure. Our treasury, our precious, precious possession, each one of them for us, designed to testify his goodwill and his love toward us. He'll not forget any of them. They'll not pass out of his mind. He'll be ever mindful of his covenant. The Puritans used to speak about the stability of the covenant. My dear friends, it's stable, laid in eternity past, and it has its great consummation and fulfillment ultimately in the heaven and eternity to come. And all during time, it's going to be fulfilled for us. These covenant promises and these mercies, they are sure forever. And God has not changed his mind. He doesn't say one thing and then alters it and retracts it and then leaves us without the hope. I am the Lord, he says, for I change not, therefore ye sons of Jacob are not consumed, and our hope is not gone. He has not changed his mind. Hath he said, and shall he not do it? Hath he not spoken, and make it good? Of course he will. He will be faithful, because he cannot change. And dear friends, he sees you hoping in his word, the word upon which he has caused you to hope. Psalm 33, 18. The eye of the Lord is upon them that hope in his mercy. He sees you in that hoping frame. He sees your eye of faith, as it were, upturned to him, waiting. And he is moved as a kind heavenly father to bring you to the time when his word will be made good in his way. And oh, it will be to your blessing and for his glory. It is the word. It is the wait. But oh, it's worth waiting for. God's best is worth waiting for. Our times are in his hand and we wouldn't want them anywhere else. And then finally... Not only the word and the weight, but the way. Remember the word unto thy servant. You see how he prays accordingly. Lord, remember the word that is to thy servant upon which thou hast caused me to hope. And this is how we can pray as well. We say remember because... It seems as though he has forgotten. Not really, but it, it can seem like that to us, can't it? Psalm 77, verse 9, good old Asaph, who is so honest, isn't he? And so open about how he feels for our comfort. Hath God forgotten to be gracious? Hath he in anger shut up his tender mercies? Oh, our unbelief would lead us to think that that is the case. But oh, it's so dishonoring to God. Just as faith believes what is right about God, unbelief perversely believes what is false about him. And that's our blasphemous enemy, the evil heart of unbelief that lurks in us. But Lord, I believe, help thou mine unbelief. It isn't that he has forgotten, although the devil would try to persuade us that he has, but he has not. Let us pray rather in the words of Wesley. Oh, might I doubt no more, but in his pleasure rest, whose wisdom, love, and truth, and power engage to make me blessed. But it's a way of asking God to fulfill his word, isn't it? Remember the word. Those of us who are parents can 
remember our children when they were small and how that if we said we were going to do something, uh, take them out somewhere or play with them at a certain time or uh, give them a present and we had just temporarily overlooked it, you know what they would say? But Daddy, you promised. And what a keen sense of justice a child has. But you see, our Heavenly Father invites us to have that keen sense of justice, which is only a reflection of his infinite, perfect sense of justice. It's only right that God will fulfill his word. Remember the word. And so we're glad, for instance, that in 1 John 1 and verse 9, concerning the forgiveness of our sins, which God doesn't make us wait for, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There's a justice in it as well as marvellous grace. Remember the word. Or in verse 38 of this very psalm, establish thy word unto thy servant who is devoted to thy fear. This way that we pray. And the Lord allows us to do this. Remember thy word. In Isaiah chapter 62 and verse 6, there's an interesting word on this where the Lord tells us this. Isaiah 62 verse 6. He calls us those who make mention of the Lord and keep not silence. And in the margin it is that are the Lord's remembrances. We are the Lord's remembrances when we remind him of his promises and his word. And the Lord allows us to do that and is pleased when we do it. Spurgeon puts it like this. When you read such a promise, take it back to the great promiser and ask him to fulfill his own word. Remind him of it. I seem to remember some time ago reading the story of Augustine of Hippo and his godly praying mother Monica who was greatly grieved when Augustine was not a Christian and far from the faith and behaving dreadfully in the world and even imbibed error at one point before he was converted and Monica his mother used to weep and pray for her son and she would hold up the promises, appropriate promises, and she would say, I give to God his own handwriting, and I show it to him, that this is what he has written. And it's good, isn't it, that we remind him of these things and show how earnest we are in our praying and will not rest until the Lord answers us graciously and look at the claim in this way unto thy servant that makes it so personal for us doesn't it God in Christ is the best master we could ever have and he will not treat his servants with indifference Thomas Manton the Puritan wrote Make it clear that you are God's servants and then these promises which are generally offered are your own. No less than if your name were inserted in the promise and written in the Bible. See our name in them and the Lord will not forget his word unto each one of his servants, you and me. Did he forget Noah? When in Genesis 8 and verse 1, and the Lord remembered Noah and all living things in the ark. 
Did he forget Abraham? Concerning whom we read in Psalm 105 and verse 42, he remembered his holy promise and Abraham, his servant. Did he forget the dying thief, newly become his servant at that very time? Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And what came back? Verily I say unto thee, today shalt thou be with me in paradise Oh, my dear friend, no more will the Lord forget his word to you and to me. There is the word. Bless God for his word. There is the weight. Oh, but it's worth the weight. And even the weight can be a means of grace in godly exercise and patience. And there is the way when we tell him we are his servants. And ask him to remember so that he'll make his word good to you and me. May it be so that in these days we may make so much of his word and thus know the Lord and honour him, obtain great things in our prayers and walk out all the blessings that he gives to us as we pray. May the Lord bless his truth and each one of us this night and to him be all the glory and all the praise. Amen. Our final hymn now is number 338 from Psalms and Hymns of Reformed Worship. 338, how precious is the book divine by inspiration given. Bright as a lamp its doctrines shine to guide our souls to heaven. 338. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. <laughs>